0: And Welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. A Saturday recording, a Saturday podcast being dropped. We're recording this in a weird way. I've never done a show before a game and then recorded the show after it, so we have no idea what's happening. And the game today that you will see before this podcast is being released, but we have an amazing guest to talk about many, many hockey related things. I'm very excited about Allison Lucan of The Athletic. If this, um, it was a Y-Hockey drinking game, you would have taken a shot by now. Uh, hi, Allison. Welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Hello. Thanks so much for having me on and letting me do this before the game. I appreciate the accommodation.
0: Yes, you could, we're doing this before the Blue Jackets and the Panthers both play, which is fine. <laughs> it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday you gotta get, maybe you've got to get used to it in case well, the Panthers make the playoffs and we're going to have to do Saturday recordings, but we would do that <laughs> after games. Uh, Allison, as you know, writing for The Athletic. I know you probably like, you're athletic. Can you get somebody else? No, we can't because they all write for the athletic now. But Allison <laughs> has written some great stuff, mostly about the Blue Jackets, but with the connections between the Blue Jackets and Panthers. She's written some amazing pieces, including on Sergey where We spent a lot of time talking about that. But before we do that, I always like getting journalistic background, see where people came from to get to where they are. And Allison, who writes some pretty incredible stories about a very interesting team from some very interesting angles. So Allison, how did you get to where you are now?
1: it's probably one of the more untraditional paths. I actually, uh, my undergraduate degree is in leadership studies, and I was a management and strategic planning consultant in corporate America for many, many years, um, and just happened to find a way to first start writing about hockey on the side and then just worked really hard to find a way to save up enough money to to give it a shot full time. And, I'm I'm thankful for that history because it's allowed me to bring some of that into looking at leadership and effective communication and things like that with the team. But, uh, that's the long and short of how I got to where I am today.
0: So in other words, you're doing it the reverse of how it normally happens in journalism. You start in journalism (laughs) and then you go into leadership or corporate America and, you know, i i i still get that story about hey i wrote for uh about sports for a big paper and now i deliver packages for amazon i hate that story (laughs) for multiple reasons not the least of which because i think amazon has some some many moral issues but that story gives me the hives and also i've struggled in this business for a while but enough about that your story is very interesting because you write again from a different angle and it's always good to have different angles in particularly hockey journalism, because as you've probably heard, hockey journalism looks the same in many ways, but you write some very interesting stories with some very interesting perspectives, and you cover the Blue Jackets, as some of you probably know, and so you've written about Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, you wrote about this two weeks ago, but this story has stuck in my mind for a while, not just the least of which, because here at Why Hockey, we've been trying to say what you've been trying to say in this piece for longer, but we don't have the ability to sound as smart as you do. So <laughs> when you when you wrote about this piece and you see Sergei Bobrovsky's numbers aren't very good, not just the traditional numbers, but everybody was going, oh, his goal saved above average is minus 11 or something like that. You saw that all the time. And when we watch these games. We go, well, he's not playing well, but he's not being helped by the fact that the Panthers can't really defend. And you yeah. think about it more and you go, well, he came from a team that is probably one of the most structured in the league to a team that's playing pond hockey so you ask this question and then you go well what's really going on here so is that how you got into writing about Bobrovsky is it one of those things where you've seen him twice with two panther games but then there's also the story about you know is he really struggling this much or what's going on because he was paid so much money such a big free agent such an important signing and you see him struggle like this so where did you come from when you started writing about this story
1: yeah yeah for sure and you know, obviously I I had the luxury of of watching Bob for all of his years in Columbus. Um, so I was very familiar with his game and his abilities. And when, when a player isn't on your team and your job is to focus on one team, you can't focus on that player as much, but I was seeing the same surface numbers that you just mentioned and it, it felt off to me. Um, and so, you know, I think what's important, and I think this is how we get ourselves into trouble whenever a team does a big free agent sh- signing like this, you can't win if just one part of your team is strong, right? I mean, even look at Artemi Panarin, who's now with the Rangers. Tremendous talent. I continue to say one of the top five forwards in the league. He can't make the Rangers be a winning team yet. Now, they're going to be great, but they're they're still putting those pieces together. The same true is with goaltending. You need more support than just good goaltending to win. And so what I did was look at first Bobrovsky's play, which in and of itself has been less in terms of overall quality than it has in previous years. But one of the angles to that and what I talked with some other analysts and some other goaltending minds about is, and I knew this from Columbus, Bobrovsky has historically had slow starts. So that was another element of this, too. And then, as I mentioned, um, it was important to look at the play around him. And and you know this. Those who follow the Panthers know this. Um, And a goaltending analyst I talked to around the league said, you know, Florida is one of the best forward groups in the NHL right now. But that's where they're going to hang their hat. They're going to push. And because the forwards are going to push, that means that regardless of what the quote unquote defense is doing, your forwards aren't being asked to support defensively as much as maybe some other teams. Then you contrast that against what Bobrovsky was playing behind before, which was not only a really high end structured, responsible defense, but then also forwards who supported that very aggressively with a very aggressive forecheck. So, Every goaltender, those I've spoken with have said every goaltender um, who changes teams, that's one of the hardest transitions um, in hockey versus the forward-changing teams or defender-changing teams. It's hardest for a goaltender. And so Bob coming in had to battle his usual slow start with playing behind a defense that is completely different, a forward group that is different in terms of how they support the goaltender directly. I mean, Florida is one of the top teams in the league in terms of allowing those cross zone passes, which is one of the best ways to challenge a goaltender. So Bob has a couple things working for him, and and you know everyone I spoke to has said they think this is going to turn around. We're seeing some better performances from him of late, um, but yeah, it was just looking at the whole picture versus just looking at the individual numbers for one
0: player. It's so interesting when we look at goaltending, and I. I'm trying to parse this out because I am not somebody who has the numbers in front of me like you do or some of these other people, you know. And I always said, like, something about goaltending right now, it looks incomplete just from the the numbers that we have. There's something that we're not getting because I don't think we're getting the best indicator, as, as my co-host Tommy would say, we're not getting the best indicator of how defense and systems play in with goaltending. And I don't think there's any better example of that than Florida because – you look at the way that Bobrovsky plays, and you go, he's still making big saves. In every game, he makes one or two big ones, but there's just a couple of them they just can't get to, and that's because the defense, a lot of it's the defense, and some of it is the forwards, but I think it's just the way they play in their defensive zone, and it's been the way that they've played the last couple of years. You had that, I think it was, I'm going to look up the stat right now, it is defensive performance year by year, which is shot quality against. You know how it's calculated. I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm a journalist. I, I didn't do well at math in school. So when you looked at it, the last three teams on this chart are all the last three years for the Panthers. All of them are, well, this is just how they play now. And for the Blue Jackets, even the last couple of years for Bobrovsky, they weren't great. But even when you look at those numbers, the raw numbers don't tell you the story because how the chances are created, they matter just as much to a goaltender that the chances created at all. And how those chances are created in Columbus is very different than how the chances have been created in Florida.
1: Absolutely. You know, I mentioned those cross-zone passes, and then there's also, you know, specific areas of the ice that Florida will give up to an opponent that Columbus would not. Um, And I think you're spot on when you talk about looking at numbers. And and I would argue this even with traditional numbers. I mean, Anyone who is really digging into hockey, there's a player you know that you would argue that their point totals don't say how good they are of a player, right? So even if we go to the most basic stats, goals win games, of course, but when we are talking about evaluating talent, we have to dig deeper. And I think that particularly as new numbers come on, it is incumbent upon us to always look at more than just the numbers and look at numbers across parts of the team to see how they all interconnect because – Shot quality against is a defensive responsibility. Stopping those chances is a goaltender responsibility. That all plays in together, and it has to work together from a systems perspective for the team to be successful.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think about goal saved above average, just as a stat?
1: Yeah, I I mean, here's here's the thing. I I think that of all the areas of hockey today, goaltending is the least well-measured if that makes sense. Um, But what I, but I like it a lot more than goals against average. And I like it a lot better than save percentage because this is a very simplistic example, but if a goaltender goes out and allows three goals per game, but is facing 50 plus shots in those games, he's being judged unfairly because his workload is ginormous. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we say save percentage, let's say a goaltender faces 10 shots, and allows two goals, he's got a terrible save percentage, but that's a volume issue too. So I think that what goals saved above average average does is try and look at things that are more true in the game. So what it's doing is it's saying, looking at the shot quality as measured by expected goals, what would we expect league average goaltending to prevent in that situation? And then the difference is the goal saved above average. So I like it because I think it's a more intelligent way to ask the question, but I think we still have so far to go.
0: So I, I've always, I love this analogy because it, it really comes into handy in a lot of different ways. It's like saying democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. So it's like, right. so, so goal saved above averages is, is incomplete, but it's better than the other two. And I, I can agree with that. It's still, I just don't think we're at a complete picture yet because as you say, like, I look at his numbers right now. Uh, charity Hockey has it at minus 10.85 for Bobrovsky, and he has been playing better, but he's also had these little blips of hot streaks where he'll play really well. But overall, it's like, but also it's like, is that number too heavily weighted too earlier in the year? How do we get there saying, like, is this is his play really improving? Now, there's so many elements of this goaltending, and also because we just don't have the complete numbers, and the better numbers are probably hidden behind, you know, things like uh, what Stephen Valiquette did. And I can't remember who, th- I think it was Dom Lucision that had the the note in one of his columns that Bobrovsky faced the highest quality of shot in the league on average. I think that was in December. I can't remember when it was. You might remember more of that. But that's sure. that, was, that was part of the story for, for all of us who were watching the Panthers, and at least for Tommy, who was banging this drum before I started doing it, was like he's facing such high-quality shots that... It got to this point. You can tell me whether you, you think this makes sense or not. He was saying on the last show, it was the difference in saves is, well, I wish I could have had that versus I should have had that. And that's a pretty right. big difference, right? Because Bobrovsky, right. a lot of the goals that are going in, and you, you, you broke down a couple of them, are definitely ones, well, I wish I could have had that as opposed to I should have had that. And a goaltender could probably tell you there's a bigger difference or, and how you would define that. But I think that's a huge difference. Between those two kinds of shots, and a lot of them for the for the panthers this year for Poprovsky's been well, I wish I could have had that as opposed to I should have had that now he's had some of the I should have had those goals, but a lot of them are the you know I wish I could have had those goals
1: that's right, that's right and i and I agree with you too on timing, so when we when we use numbers like those that were in my article, and quite frankly, we should contemplate doing this even with the basic traditional stats that some people like to use. Again, I totally get it. Wins matter. The first 10 games, your record matters.
0: Oh, but Panthers when we t- <laughs> certainly does. How often do we joke about how bad they are in October and they <laughs> dug themselves a hole they can't get out of? That's been a thing on, you know, in Pantherland forever.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you know, record, of course, the wins matter. And I, sometimes I think people, when they hear us talk about numbers, they think we're dismissing the importance of the record. We understand that for sure. But when we're talking again about player level evaluation for things to be statistically relevant, which basically means for the hold water, for them to be accurate, like you said, early, like early on, are we looking at enough? The answer is no until at least 20 games. So there's this weird period every season. That's really tricky. If you really want to be fair in your evaluation, because again, that win-loss record is so important. But if you really want to understand what's going on, you can't really trust the underlying numbers yet because you don't have enough to be statistically relevant. And so I think that was hard, too, is that, you know, you mentioned early on there were some struggles. Yeah, but for how long? And, and that was when I started to look at this more because when we got past kind of that early chunk and some of those numbers were off for Bobrovsky, you know, that's when you kind of start to say there's something else going on here.
0: I think that also the, the question that comes to mind is you've got a new goaltender playing behind a new-ish system. It's not that new, but it's new enough for him. He's certainly never played behind it, even though the Panthers, it looks like the Panthers from recent years. And I think he can make an argument that he's never played behind a system where he's basically playing behind pond hockey. Like, you know what I mean? Because right. every sure. system he's played for... I. Even before torts, I don't think the Blue Jackets ever played hockey or even the Flyers beforehand ever played hockey like the Panthers are playing it this year.
1: Absolutely, and that was exactly the point of of that chart in my article was to say of all the defenses over the time period that Sergei Bobrovsky has been a starting goaltender, that time range in terms of Florida and Columbus, what's the worst he's seen? And this is the worst he's seen in terms of defensive ability. So, yeah, it's a huge struggle for him. And, you know, some people I've talked to around the league have said, you know, again, it's just a matter of this relationship, this communication building up. And, And it's also very important to consider that for goaltending, so much of effective goaltending is trust between the player and the defense in front of him. And when you're building through situations like this, sometimes the goaltender can lose some of that trust and that impacts their ability to perform to their potential because what they start doing is overcompensating because they don't yet trust their defense. And, and to be clear, that does not mean there's a problem in terms of the relationship. It just means that it's still being built. And it means the goaltender says to go back to your example, they say, I think I know where the shot is coming from, but I'm not really still a hundred percent sure where this defender is going to go in front of me. So, you know what, I'm going to do something I usually don't do because I think I have to overcompensate, and that's when they get burned. So there's some of that going on here too.
0: I think when you look at some of the goals, and even in the the recent games for the Panthers, and this is two weeks ago now because of the bye weeks, but you look at the goals he's given up, and a lot of them are like, well, he almost gets there, and it looks like he should have saved it, but a lot of it is just like the puck's moving in places, the defense is breaking down. And also I think it comes from – the kind of defensemen that Florida has. They have a lot of what we call puck rushers, guys who like to play with the puck, and a lot of them, you know, they're not great without it. The Blue Jackets have guys who are good with the puck, too, but the thing about Rorensky and Jones and even, like, the Savards and some of the younger guys that they've brought in, they're very responsible without the puck, and the Panthers' defensemen, they've only got maybe one or two that are, you'd say, really quality guys without the puck, and that's another issue that happens, and so sometimes these guys... If they don't clear the zone the first time, they're chasing shadows. And that yeah, ends up leading yeah. to these long chances, right? And in Columbus, he never really had to deal with that. And so the style of defenseman is also a big thing. And it just looks like, oh, he's playing badly. But you, you look underneath it, and it happens when you've watched the Panthers as much as I have. And even focusing on the Blue Jackets because of the fact that the Panthers have competed in one of the playoff spots recent years. The difference is huge. And it's probably, and I don't know whether maybe you agree with this or not, but it might be the biggest difference stylistically in terms of team defense and individual defenders between Columbus and Florida that you could possibly get in this league.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question, and and I don't have a definitive answer for you yet. It's something, though, that I am digging into, hopefully, for something soon. Um, But, you know, you, you mentioned even the Blue Jackets' top pair. Wierenski and Jones are a huge part of the Blue Jackets' offense but they also, to your point, play off each other very well, where if one jumps, the other is usually staying back. And again, remember, too, like I talked about, let's say Zach Wierenski, who John Tortorella doesn't even call a defenseman anymore. He calls him a rover. Let's say Zach Wierenski jumps in the play. Seth Jones is staying back a little bit to be more responsible. And again, he's supported by a forward group that is going to be mindful defensively and really be trying to run that four check that's how they beat tampa last year in the playoffs so again the the florida forwards they're not asked to do that because they shouldn't they're so talented they should be running and gunning driving for that offense because that's how this team is going to win games but so now not only do you have some personnel differences defensively when a defenseman jumps up offensively, which to be clear, I do think is a growing trend in the league, and I'm fully here for it. When that happens, you're placing an even bigger ask on other defenders because there isn't the forward support.
0: Well, the Panthers basically have, let's say, Mike Matheson is a rover. He's not as good as Zach Keith Yandel has been a rover forever. He's right. Zach Ransky, like that's the problem. It's like the Panthers, like Zach could could be a rover. And you know like that's the that's that's fine but the Panthers basically have all rovers you know what I mean right and that that's right. the other difference is that the way the D was constructed and that's a that's a combination of a lot of different things like Anton Stroman comes in he's not a rover but he's also 35 and the Panthers' right. best defensive defenseman is a guy who's hurt most of the time and so like their best defensive defenseman right now is Riley Stillman and he's a, he's a rookie so that's another mm-hmm. thing that comes into it or at least and and for me i also think it's hard because if you go on twitter and you say i'm trying to you know not just use my eyes but trying to watch these games and then use that to inform how am i going to go into this analysis, you get jumped on a little bit so for me especially when we're asking this Bobrovsky question which is a difficult question to ask and i know you're great with this data driven analysis and i like it i think all of us like it uh, for me i always try to use the data to back up what do I see with my eyes do I see something that I can go with okay why is this happening and for the Bobrovsky question it was why is he struggling the way he is and then for me it was is it more goaltending or is it more defense and when I look at mm-hmm. all the numbers and that's the public numbers it's charting hockey it's hockey viz natural Trick, things of this nature I try to look at the best complete picture I can and for me when I look at the data it goes okay Bobrovsky's not playing well his defense ain't giving him a chance basically and that, to me, it, it's hard to do the balanced analysis, right, where you say, what are my eyes telling me? What am I seeing watching these games? And what does the data tell me when I look at it? And I think that's the hardest thing to balance, especially with a goaltending question, which even if it's your best answer is kind of going to be incomplete.
1: Totally agree with you. And that's, you know, one thing that I always try and do. We live in a world now where we love highlights, right, and we can get them insta- instantly. I myself live gift games, so I'm part of the problem. But – what I try and do when I do GIF a highlight or a play, it's so easy to see a player with uncontested just go to the net, shoot and score, right? That trains our eyes to say, look at the bad goaltending, because that's all we saw. And I think you're spot on with what I try and do is always include all of the play leading up to the event that matters. Was there a breakdown? Was there a turnover? What happened? How did we get into that situation? Because I absolutely agree. And I think that is what has led to so many people asking this Bobrovsky question is because we know from watching him how elite of a talent he's been. Now, of course, there's going to be some aging concerns because of where he is in that span. But this kind of drop off is just unprecedented. So we have to say what else is going on. And to your point, if you're really watching the full game, which we all can't always do. I mean, I can't watch every single NHL game every day. If we aren't watching the whole game, we owe it to ourselves to go beyond the single event in terms of answering the question.
0: And that happens with the Panthers. And most people don't watch Panthers games. And I understand why you wouldn't. You might want to now because they score a trillion goals a game and the games are totally insane. Or as Micah McCurdy says, we may win, but I may die. And that's basically a Panthers game now. (laughs) It's the best right. descriptor of a Panthers game I've ever seen, especially this year, because they are pond hockey games, basically. So, on the specific question for Bobrovsky, I saw a note in 31 Thoughts earlier this week that, Bobrovsky, that people said Bobrovsky is getting a little more confident, which I can understand. Uh, and now, with the Panthers' backup situation in flux because of some injuries, uh, he's right. going to be playing a lot. And these games coming up, they played Columbus on Tuesday, which is even before the Panthers started, you know, with this, that's been a house of horrors for them, and then they played Toronto beforehand. So this is really important stretch, and Bobrovsky's going to be playing a ton of games. So do you think, even from when you wrote it, are are there signs that it's starting to turn around? Because I can see it a little bit, even though they're still giving up three goals a game or four goals a game. But do you think his games starting to turn around a little bit? Because I'm starting to see that trust built a tiny bit, even if it's not entirely there, As I don't know if you could really trust the Panthers' defense in that way, but... Have you started to see the, his game turn around even a little?
1: Yeah, I have actually, and and you know sometimes, and I think a lot of us writers do it. We joke about if we either write about something and it gets better, or we write about something and we curse it. Um, and I have I have been fortunate to be on the, the right side of that that joke. But uh, yeah, I think that we are seeing to that point, like you said, Bobrovsky getting more comfortable with not just his defenders, but the defense, the concept in front of him. And I think that one of the big strengths that the Panthers have here now, as you mentioned, the injuries, you know, I was watching that. And um, what's really huge here is that Bobrovsky is trained and capable of playing so, so, so much hockey. Uh, this is a player who, like so many, would play every single game if his coaches would let him. So you have the benefit there that th- this is part of why he got the $10 million, is that he can bear this run. He can bear this run mentally. He can bear this run physically, and I do think the uptick as well as the increased offensive support in front of him, even if the defense doesn't change, you know, that, that's, if the team gets results, that helps everybody get better for sure.
0: Well, the thing, the other thing is, and I'm seeing this now more than ever before, the Panthers, if, if the winning a game 5-3 and getting a big save that keeps it 4-3 is kind of different than winning a game 3-1 and getting a big save that makes it 2-1 or keeps it 2-1. And that's another one of those just little, tiny little differences. And Bobrovsky's not really ever had to play in a system where, oh, I got to make a big save to keep us up 4-3 as opposed to, you know, 2-1. And also, like, I don't know because I don't know goaltending well enough. I had Cat Silverman on the show, but I never talked about Bobrovsky. I talked about Spencer Knight. It's Mm -hmm. so fascinating when you look at just how the way – this is going now and again goaltending numbers are going to change because offense is better than it was shooting is better equipment smaller etc cetera, etc cetera. but for him like goaltenders are a different breed so you never know like are they particularly confident if they're giving up three goals a game but you're still winning you know and for proboski as i said because it's so different to how he played before it's 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 a fascinating question because there is no real good answer but also, I think the other part of it is, if Bobrovsky even remotely ticks up in form, and the Panthers continue to score goals, who's beating them? How are you beating the team That's with the best nice. with the best goal offense in the league with a with a halfway decent Bobrovsky? Because he's been like career worst in many levels, and the Panthers are still sixty one points in third in the Atlantic, which is crazy. Right, right. And you know,
1: and, I, and you know, it, it's Cat is is my go to. She's so brilliant at the position, and so I would defer to her. Analysis, But, you know, I think this, too, is where when we talk about bringing in a seasoned goaltender like Sergey Bobrovsky, it's easier for him, I would wager, I don't know for sure, but I would guess for him to make that adjustment that you just described mentally versus a younger guy who's been brought up in the prevent every single goal that you can, right? It's harder mm-hmm. for them to, to, to get there. I think that Bobrovsky is definitely one who can make that mental transition but again it just takes time it takes if, if, if you move if you've ever moved if you've ever changed jobs you know that it takes time to get to your full stride and I think we're seeing that in just so many of these aspects that we've been breaking down here
0: well instant gratification society everything has to work of course etc et et which makes it impossible uh, I want to talk uh, about now the just the overall complexion of the playoff race because there are so many elements of that, and the Blue Jackets play into it, and not just doing this because the Panthers play them again, but because the Columbus story is so fascinating. This playoff race for the East is is ridiculously stupid because right now you've got four teams that are in. You can guarantee four, and then the other th- uh, other four spots, third in the Atlantic and the Metro, and then the two wild cards are all basically wide open. I don't think anybody can feel safe about that yet. And it's so interesting because you have these styles in contrast. You have Columbus who's winning because not only are they getting hot goaltending from you know, Merzlikens and Corpus Allo beforehand, but also because uh, their system is just killing everything. And you don't see that in a league where, you know, Toronto and Florida exist. But then you've got, you know, the Flyers are involved. You've got Carolina who hasn't really hit their stride. All sorts of things of this nature. Like, So how do you see this race playing out? Because you can look at the probabilities and go, okay, Florida's got a great chance, but I will never trust them until they actually prove to me that they can do it. Then you've got a, a Blue Jackets team that's winning right now, I have like the Islander team last year just hooked me because it was like, Okay, there's no way this could happen again and now Columbus is coming around and kinda of doing the same thing just with quote unquote inferior goaltending. And the East playoff race is so stupid because of that. And again, last year the cutoff was ninety eight. The year before it was ninety seven or something like that. If we can see that again.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. And I think, you know, it's it's easy for me to say this. I'm sure for fans it's like you said, it's it's torture in many ways, but this is just going to be so exciting to watch and how lucky we are to all of us who are following Eastern teams have meaningful hockey to watch down the stretch. I mean, Columbus certainly knows when that, what it was like when that didn't exist after the all-star break. So I think that that's, that's the biggest win for everyone. And, you know, some things that I'm watching for sure is, you know, that Dougie Hamilton loss to Carolina, that's a big deal. Philadelphia struggles on the road. That's an interesting wrinkle. Bobrovsky surging. That's interesting to me. The Islanders have had some injuries. Pittsburgh has just been able to maintain. And Washington is Washington. Boston is Boston. Tampa's doing things a little differently this year. I think that this is going to be a very very hard fight. And and the most I can hope for is that everyone stays in it till the end because it's just exciting. But. I think you're right. There's so many different types of teams here, so many different styles that uh, I, I would be, it would be irresponsible for me to even project who gets in at this point. Well,
0: I want to ask about the Blue Jackets because you watch them play now and you go, okay, there's no way this is going to continue. Because last year, okay, they had Panarin, they had Bobrovsky, they, they had Duchesne, and they had all these players. And you go like, okay, this is a really good team. And they just, they happened to get in at the wrong spot, but then they ended up beating the best regular season team in modern hockey. You know, like that. But then everybody goes this year, okay, goaltending. How are you going to win with that goaltending? How are you going to win? And then they have all these injuries. You're going, okay, how is this going to work? Other than on New Year's Eve, the Panthers getting shut out, almost shut out by Merzlikens. That's just a Panthers thing. I knew that was going to happen. But then after that, you watch them. You just They march off these wins. The system changes, and it's why I think John Tortorella's Coach of the Year, or at least he might be second to Mike Sullivan, because it's not just, oh, the goaltending's getting better. It's the system's allowing the goaltending to be better. And in a league that's so wide open that so many teams are playing some version of pond hockey, the Blue Jackets are killing everything. There's no—you don't get chances against them. And that it's is—in a league like that, it's, it's amazing to see. I mean, the Islanders did it last year, but the Blue Jackets are doing it with arguably less than that Islanders team had which I think to me is crazy. And if the Blue Jackets make the playoffs, it wouldn't be like, – because every year there's a shocking team that makes the playoffs. But it would be one of the most surprising things I think we've seen in a long time because how do you go losing all those key players and then losing all of your key players you still have through injury throughout the entire year and still making it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what – you know, one, one factor to this is that by many accounts, that team last year as loaded as it was, and you said barely got in, they really underperformed. Um, there were pl- there were plenty of, of games and overall results. I mean, Bobrovsky had a, a poor start last year as well. So e- yes, of course they lost elite elite level talent, but it also they didn't really do what they were supposed to do, particularly in the regular season. So what Columbus has done is, to, as you said, you know they've always been a defensive team, and, and I argue that this is one of the strongest defenses in the league. Seth Jones and Zach Rensky for oh, me, are one of the... Mm, I, don't
0: think you can sorry, even, I don't think you can even say otherwise right now because there's no team that's... Like, you look at their goal-scoring numbers, you go, okay. But then defensively, they've got one of the lowest goals against, and they're doing this again with, no offense to Corpus and Merzlikens, but that's who they're doing it with.
1: That's yeah, more impressive sure.
0: than last year, they're doing it with a renaissance Robin Leonard who, turned out, is actually pretty good even when he's playing behind a team that's not very good. So, I think that's a more of a testament to Columbus's system than anything else. But but again,
1: I mean, the system that's and that's been the interesting thing, the system and John Tortorella will get his backup if you ask him about system changes, because it really hasn't changed. It's just deepened in intensity. So they they are allowing some of the lowest quality against in the league. They're routinely in the top three. And I think this goaltending thing has been really interesting because everyone thought that Yarmulkekeleinen was crazy for going with what he went to. But if you look at both of these goaltenders, the story going in with Uniscorp I mean, Unis we have to remember, was the backbone to the Cleveland Monsters Calder Cup run yes. when they won in, in the AHL. So there, there is a history of success there. Elvis Merzlikens has won every basically award in Europe that a goaltender can win. And I, mean, I was talking to scouts and executives from other teams, even when he started so poorly this season they were all like this kid is special. Everyone's up about him and his ability. So I think we saw two players who historic, you know, Elvis has a poor start, but this is his first play on North American ice, but he has an elite background. Eunice Corposalo, the book on him was always, well, he doesn't get any regular starts because of course he's playing behind Sergei Bobrovsky and how difficult it is for any goaltender to really be successful in that kind of a role. So He gets those successive continuous starts. He becomes, at the the time, an all-star goaltender. Then when Elvis finally gets the net, he finally finds a way to put it all together. So I think that while certainly a surprise, and I am by no means placing either up for Vezna contention because we just don't know enough yet, and I do think both of them are going to come down to earth a little bit, of course, but I think that what we're seeing is just like any organization when they know something about an unheralded player that the rest of the league doesn't. Uh, we're seeing maybe some guys showing a little bit more what they could do than what others thought they could have based on just past, you know, you look at a stat sheet, what's their, we talked about this, what's their state percentage, what's their goals against average. So, you know, it's
0: always important to dig deeper into those stories for sure. But it's also goaltending is voodoo and you just really have no idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll cast my lot with, you know, the devil you, the devil you know whether the devil you don't. And I think that sure. a lot of us are. And particularly with goaltending, because it makes, because again, Bobrovsky's bad, you know, Connor Hellebuck could win the Vesda this year, but his team is absolutely garbage in front of him, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I know you don't want to predict the playoff races, but I have to ask you this. Uh, and we thank you for coming on. Of course, you've made us all a little bit smarter today. <laughs> how do you, if you had to guess, what do you, how do you think it plays out? Because the other thing about this race is that everybody plays each other. You know, as you said, right. the Panthers have three games right. left with Toronto. They got two with Philly. They got one with Columbus. So they play each other all the time. The Blue Jackets have a back-to-back with Philly at some point. You know, they're going to play the Leafs again. They're going to play Carolina. All these teams are going to play each other and beat each other up. So how do you think this ends in the end? Because at this point, Columbus is on a six-game winning streak and barely in. And the Panthers are on a six-game winning streak and barely in as of this moment. So how do you think this plays out? Because, again, with so many different kinds of teams and six teams for four spots, we're going to get again and see two somewhat pretty good teams miss the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, both Florida and Columbus had to go on these runs because they had such a weak, weak start. Um, but, it's you know, if I look at the easy...
0: start, it's just that I think that the pace was set so high for so many teams, but even Tampa worked out of it. But, you know, it's like the Panthers had their best month of October in 23 years, and that's yeah. enough to get them where they are right now, which is ahead on a tiebreaker. You know, I
1: mean, Col- Columbus has won, was it 16 of their last 20? I mean, that's the kind of run they had to put together to
0: be back in I mean, it's, it's, it. it makes no sense. Like, and again, Panthers hadn't won more than three in a row in regulation until this stretch, but it's not like they had lost a ton of games in a row. That's right. the other thing. Right. And Toronto had a terrible start and is on a pretty loony run when you think about it. And so it's like, yeah. that's the other thing. It just, like right now, it doesn't really make sense because in this league, where you think everybody's kind of equal. I mean, a team winning 16-20 just doesn't seem like it makes sense. Or the Panthers, who couldn't win three in a row to save their lives and now won six in a row, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, right? Maybe that's just Gary Bettman's parody working exactly the way he wanted it to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I think that you can look at Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Tampa Bay as locks. Um, There's again, then again, obviously we've got that jumble that we all know about. I mean, for me, I'm not as convinced by the Islanders this year. I think they might be a question mark.
0: Um, I think I'm not convinced by them either, unless they play Florida, in which case they are definitely a certainty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I think too, this is, you know, what if Florida plays, if, if Florida gets everything moving and gets to their potential of what everyone thought they would be, including myself, they're in, I think. Um, And, you know, Carolina, I'm a little worried about because of of just some lagging and some changes in their play of late. So, you know, I see – I mean, it's hard to say you don't see Toronto getting in just because, much like Florida, you look at their forward group, um, and it's crazy. But where they struggle is defense and goaltending. So, yeah, I mean – (laughs) I, you know, I think, I think Philly might be on the outside looking in. um, And I think, yeah, those, geez, it's hard. I'm sitting here looking at it. Those those last two spots. I mean, it's a cop out to say it's four, but I think the the last three spots are going to, it's going to come down to the Islanders, Columbus, Toronto, and Carolina, in
0: my opinion. I I can see that. I, I can see that. But again, like this could change. Like the Panthers play Toronto and Columbus back to back, and it's why I kept sure. telling people you, you can't. Like I, Panthers fans do this all the time because they're conditioned to it. You you watch the scoreboard a lot and you go like because a couple years ago all the Panthers needed the Devils to do was screw up once and they never screwed up once. You know, like right right. I so kept telling them like don't don't root for these other teams to screw up. They're not going to screw up. You have to win these games by yourself. And that that's the other thing is it's just like. But also, I think it comes in with, like, the West, and the race to get into the West is just a tire fire. So, you look at two, like, the Flyers could have 94 points and miss in the East, but then there's somebody not good that makes it in the West. And then we get horrible arguments about, you got to do 1 through 16, and that's just stupid. But, you know, because you know the NHL's never going to do it. But that's, but that's the other thing, like, this year. So, I think maybe the East it's different because there's such a clear delineation between, like, terrible – and then there's a group that's not terrible but clearly isn't good enough so there's a lot more starker delineation in the east than we've seen in recent years even though the playoff cutoff in the east is really high the bubble has been bigger in the east i think than it's been recently but this year it's like you know that six teams for four spots these are six legitimately good teams and the rest of the teams that are behind them are they're, they're cooked you know we haven't usually seen that in february that's more like what you see in the west
1: for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's I mean, it's crazy. To, you know, Columbus was in the West um, from the time they came into the league to the last lockout. All they wanted to be was in the East and now they got their wish and it's never been tougher competition.
0: <laughs> I know. And it's just it's it's strange how that always works out. Allison, most people already have found your work, but in case people haven't, where can they find it?
1: Yep, you can find me um, at The Athletic. Uh, you can follow me there as an author, or you can follow on the Columbus Blue Jackets page. And on Twitter, I am at Allison L.
0: That's pretty simple. That's it. I'll take it. That'll work for us. Thank you, Allison. You've made us all a little bit smarter today. I hope the Panthers beat the Blue Jackets on Tuesday, but knowing that that's not going to happen, well, I get enough torture from watching teams in Columbus beat teams I like, and that's Ohio State-related things. But not in <laughs> basketball, but that's in, that's in football. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that until next October or November, <laughs> like, whatever Maryland plays Ohio State. That's just I'm just gonna take the day off, and th- those things happen. Uh, but thankfully, that doesn't happen in basketball because I'm watching Ohio State basketball right now in the meat grinder. Of the big if if you haven't been following college basketball this season. The Big Ten is stupid. I've done that. I do that also for a living, so don't do that if you don't have to. Don't put yourself through that. But anyway, thank you, Allison. You've been incredibly great. We will talk soon.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.